0: and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people.
1: The year ahead will certainly be filled with all kinds of blessings and trials, challenges and opportunities. But this year, we are resolved to trust God no matter what the circumstance, and to follow Jesus wherever he leads us, to forgive those who've wronged us, and to bless others with the words that we speak, resolved. To pray without ceasing, and to study God's word with diligence, to be the first to serve and the last to complain, to love at all times, to work unto the Lord, and to be generous with all that we have, resolved to cherish the beauty all around us, and to spread joy in our community, to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, to live in faith and not in fear, to exemplify humility, integrity, and gratitude, to honor Christ with our time, treasures, and talents, to make a difference with our lives, and to give glory to God in all things. This year, we are Resolved.
0: Well, amen. Amen. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year to everybody. <laughs> it's good to see you. Man, as Travis said, this is our first opportunity uh, to worship in 2024, and I'm so thankful uh, that you made it. Uh, gratefully and, and seriously, most of us were spared yesterday the, uh, the long-term effects of a storm. Uh, that blew through the east coast and so I'd ask you to pray for those who were not as fortunate as as we were uh, to be the uh, the recipients of mostly rain now I know out uh, west a little bit from us they had mostly an ice storm and so but again uh, very very thankful that you're here today and uh, I pray that you've already had a good 2024 Uh, as you know Uh, and maybe you've kind of guessed even with the video and the title slide behind me, Uh, the New Year brings with it uh, millions and millions of people making New Year's resolutions every year and uh, about some change in their life. I was looking up uh, what are some of the more common, obviously, resolutions that people make. Obviously, uh, number one seems to be still on the top of the charts to exercise more. Maybe you've made that resolution (laughs) this year Uh, to lose weight, to get more organized, to learn a new skill, uh, to take up a new hobby, uh, to save more money, to spend less, uh, to quit smoking or drinking for that matter, to travel more, to read more. And here was the one that rounded up the top list uh, was to spend more time, watch this, to spend more time with family and friends. That's a good one, isn't it? How many of y'all made a resolution already this year? Anybody make New Year's resolutions? Go ahead, be, be honest. Anybody? Maybe you didn't even tell your spouse you made a New Year's resolution. Maybe it's a, it's a covert operation. You've made a New Year's resolution, but you don't want anybody to know, be, just in case you don't follow through with it, who's, who did that? Okay, so we got some. Let me ask this as a follow-up question. Uh, have you made it through week one of your resolution? Or have you already busted your resolution in week one? You know, interestingly enough, I did a, a very little research, so I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, educated on the matter that much, but I did a little research. Most resolutions last, are you ready for this? A maximum, the max time that most resolutions last is a maximum of two to three months. But I also learned something new this year, which is, I mean, maybe it'll serve you well. I learned that there is an unofficial... <laughs> an unofficial date to make a recommitment to your New Year's resolution of June the 1st. So if you mess up by June, you can go ahead and renew your commitment to your resolution and get back on track. Really, the idea of this series was born out of some things that we were talking about in Bible study, and I had been pondering what the Lord would have us to talk about in the New Year's. And if you've been around Battlefield for any amount of time, you know that I always like to start the New Year's by talking about all of the things that we're blessed with and how how do we live with those things, how do we manage those things, how do we live a life that brings God honor and glory. And so uh, uh, I started thinking about this, and I, I had this mindset of, okay, the word resolution, the word resolve, and the word resolved. The Cambridge Dictionary says it this way says that the word resolution, personally speaking, means to make a promise to yourself or to do or not to do something. Now, the word resolve actually means, on the other hand, to solve or end a problem. Man, anybody need to uh, have some resolve to some problems in their life? That's what the word resolve means. But it goes on, it says, or to make a formal decision. But I like the word resolve. Because the word resolve takes it a step further. And it simply means to be determined or strongly determined. You know, I believe biblically this is where our Lord wants us to land. I believe this is where he wants us to land when he comes to all things. As we seek to live a life for his glory. I can tell you this idea of living a life for His glory is something that you're going to hear more about as the year progresses, as we look to live a life in 2024. Our prayer, our heart's desire for this church, for you, for me, for everyone, is that we live a life that brings God the most glory. Amen? And so I pray that you'll join us on that journey. But I know this, that without God's help, without His assistance, Uh, as scripture says, you and I can do nothing. You know that? Without the Lord's help, we can do nothing. In fact, we would fail to reach any type of goal or any type of outcome. And so when it comes to this idea of being biblically resolved in any area of our life, you and I must begin with this correct understanding, watch this, that all of life, all of life, no matter how we categorize it, whether it be work Whether it be our family, whether it be our friendships, whether it be our homes, our cars, or all the toys that we have, all of life, no matter how we categorize it, has been given to you and I from the Lord, watch this, as a sacred trust. Did you hear that? He has given to us everything as a sacred trust. The air that we breathe. Listen, he has established and created things in such a way so that even the very air that we breathe has been given to us as a sacred trust. Our abilities, our resources, and on and on the list goes. Everything that we have, everything that has been given to us is a sacred trust from God. And here's where the rubber meets the road. We either believe that or we do not. You either believe it or you don't. So let me ask the question. Do you believe that everything you have has been given to you by the Lord as a sacred trust? I hope you do. Because see, the the fact of the matter is whether I believe it or not, it doesn't change it one bit. God has bestowed his blessings on us and given it to us. In fact, if we believe that life... As James 1.17 says, If we we believe that this life and and, and every good and every perfect gift that comes down from the Father, right without whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning, if we believe that it comes from God, then it's going to cause you and I to consider how we can best make use of those good and perfect gifts. So how are we doing? How do we take an inventory? Every year, we need to take an inventory and see how we're doing. And really, this is where we get this idea, this this churchy word, if I can even say that. A lot of people, it's not a churchy word, but it's it's fallen into uh, disarray over the years. It's the churchy word, uh, stewardship. See, all of life. Every good, every perfect gift that comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything that you have, the air that we breathe, the clothes that we wear, the cars that we drive, the food that we eat, and the food that we do not eat, and on and on, it has all been given to us by God. And so, it is a sacred trust. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse number 23. He says, O oh Lord, he said, I know the way of man. Is not in himself. He says, I know it's not in himself. In fact, the CSB actually puts it, uh, simplifies it by saying it this way it says, A person's way of life is not his own. In other words, everything has been placed at my disposal and at your disposal. It's a sacred trust. And the reality is, we have to remember that you and I are simply managers, not owners. I own nothing. But I am a manager of everything that God has given me. And I ought to be managing it well for his honor and for his glory. Do you know the reality is that we're just a bunch of pilgrims and strangers, right? Anybody ever watched John Wayne movies? Everybody that John Wayne talked to was a pilgrim. He's like, hey, a pilgrim. Everybody was a pilgrim. Listen, we're just pilgrims and strangers passing through in this life that we have been blessed with we're we're literally entrusted with somebody else's property and we're to manage it well again jeremiah says oh lord i know that the way of man is not in himself in other words jeremiah understood that he or nobody else had a title deed or ownership to any part of life in fact the psalmist agrees with this in Psalm 24 the same truth is revealed saying this in verse number one the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein for he that hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods in Deuteronomy chapter 10 the Bible says in verse 14 behold the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God the earth also and all that is therein is Job 41, 11, the Lord proclaims, he says, whatsoever is under the whole heaven, this is pretty emphatic, he said, whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. I think God means business, he owns it all. Uh, in fact, if you go to the New Testament, we find in John chapter 1, in verse number 3, the Bible says that all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 teaches us that by him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth. Visible, watch this, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. He says, all things were created by him and for him. And he, speaking of Jesus Christ, is before all things. And by him, speaking of Jesus Christ, watch, all things consist. So in other words, everything belongs to him hello are you out there happy new year by the way (laughs) you're like oh I was hoping for something a little less serious today listen we gotta start on the right foot man it's 2024 aren't you glad that you have another opportunity today to serve the Lord you know what's amazing is I saw a difference in you about five minutes ago if I were to get up here and sing the song gratitude everybody was singing and you say well brother you didn't see my lips I didn't move I didn't sing <laughs> well congratulations big player you didn't sing you didn't acquiesce the reality is I saw this church raising hands Tears in their eyes, thinking about how grateful they were to God that He is the same God yesterday. We were singing about that. Well, He's the God who heals yesterday. He's the God who heals today. He's the God who did this yesterday. He's the God who did that. But then I, little me, old oh my, get up here and say, everything belongs to God. We get real quiet. We were talking about this before the service. I think if you're a military person, this probably comes more difficult to us anyway. Right, because we like to control things. We like to think we're in charge. Right, there's always somebody who's in charge in the military. There's a rank structure. Oh, I'm in charge. No, you're not. No, you're not. Sir, ma'am, you're not in charge. Well, I'm, I'm the president. Congratulations, you're not in charge. You're not in charge. God of very God is in charge. And he only allows us to do this, that, or the other. And the sooner we wrap our heads around it, it's difficult. By the way, it's difficult because we like to control things. But, but when we're singing gratitude, we're all excited. But then when I remind us that everything belongs to the Lord, like Job 41, look, that verse kills me. 41, 11, the Lord proclaims whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. Uh, okay, thank you. It's mine, he says. It is all mine. And so if the words my, you hear people talking about my or mine. If the words my or my, mine seem to permeate our words and our vocabulary when talking about life, chances are that we have already missed the point that God is ultimately in charge. You see, because his creator, because he is creator, he has an absolute right to everything which means he has an absolute right to all of life, which includes you and me. I think about throughout history, Jesus used stories, right? He used stories to kind of point people to a greater biblical truth. We actually call those stories in Scripture, we, we refer to them as parables. What's interesting, though, is out of, in 16 of, out of 38 parables that are shared in the gospel messages, 16 of those 38 parables have a stewardship Theme to them. For instance, in Luke chapter 16, scripture reveals the story of the unrighteous steward. And the reality is the unrighteous steward is called to task by his master. If you read that parable, he's called to task. He's called to give an account by the master. And the reality is that there's coming a day, there's coming a day when our Lord and our Savior, and, and if I could put it soever gently, our master, is going to come again and thankfully he's going to take care of all the mess that we look around and we see, which is great news. But he's also, there's coming a day when he's also going to call every one of us to give an account. He's going to call every one of us to give an account of our management of this life, the air that we breathe, our abilities, uh, our our resources, our treasures, our time and on and on, everything else that we've been given. And so for the next few moments of time, I want us to consider just that, our management of time. After all, we're people who are very highly conscious of time. I mean, I turn around, we're driven by time. Everything that we do, we're driven by time. We're always looking, we're always asking about time. Some of us wear watches, I do not. Some of you wear Apple watches. You cannot do anything without seeing the time. In fact, one of the things about the Apple Watch is if you move your hand a certain way, it lights up to you. I mean, so we have watches and Apple Watches. We have clocks. They even have a clock, just so you guys are aware. There's a clock that's a red infrared clock that stares me in the face that tells me what time it is. Now, most of the time I don't pay attention to it, but it's there. (laughs) It's there. I think the media guys want to start flashing it. You know, at like 10.45, like that gives me a 20-minute window, right, Mark? So, so it's up there. We're people who are driven by time. We schedule everything according to time. This one's got baseball practice. This one's got basketball practice, got cheer practice. We've got to go here. We've got to go there. And what's really incredible to me is, and you guys know this, we allot, we allot a certain amount of time for certain things, don't we? We say, well, I'll give this much time to this. And if the pastor goes over, it's going to throw my schedule way off. And so I digress. What is time? I mean, literally, we could ask the philosophers about time. We could ask the scientists about time, the business community about time. And we could debate the 24-hour a day, the 7-day a week, or the 365-day a year. We could debate those things in those worlds But for the sake of time, we'll not do that. For the sake of time, I just want us to understand biblically what we're talking about when we consider time. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go to three, primarily three main passages, and I want you to see all of them, because I think you'll be able to take something away hopefully today that uh, will be beneficial for all of us. And so for the sake of time, I want us to understand, number one, if you're a note-taker, biblically, time is a concept of creation, not culture. Our culture does not dictate time. However, many cases, we allow culture to dictate time. What I want you to know is time is a concept of of creation. It was not established by culture, it was established by God. And there are some down through the ages, down through time, who have asked and debated why we have a seven-day week. Folks, it is not an arbitrary fact of why we have seven days in a week. It is all connected to the creation story, and to the created order of things by God. Look in Genesis chapter 1. At the end of verse 5, look at it. It says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Watch it. Verse number 8. The evening and the morning were the second day. Verse 13, we see the third day. This goes on and on. Look all the way down to verse number 31 at the end of Genesis 1. And it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And then we get into Genesis chapter 2. Should be on the same page as it is on my Bible. Look at verse number 2, Genesis chapter 2. The Bible says, and on the seventh day, God ended his work. So he ends what he's doing. He does everything on six days. He sees that it's good. And so on the seventh day, he ends all his work. And then notice it says, and he rested on the seventh day. From all his work which he had made. So listen. Although the debates continue. Right? The debate continues to rage on. Did God? I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i so smart. And I probably know more than God. But did God really create the universe in six days? Can I just say, just lovingly, that we serve a God who could have created the universe in not even a day. He could have done it as fast as he wanted. He's God. We, we try to put God in this box. But the debate goes on. Was it a six-day, literal, 24-hour-a-day day? And guys, I'll let you snack shop theologians debate that somewhere else. The reality is, if you look in Genesis, the Hebrew word for day, that is translated as day, comes from the word yom. And it literally means a day. <laughs> I love that. The first thing it says, a day. Like you look it up. The Hebrew word, a day. But notice, whether from sunrise to sunset, right? Or from one sunset to the next. So what you're saying is it might not have even taken God six full days. Well, I told you, he's God. He could do whatever he wants, right? And so we have this idea of day. But the point for us to grasp is not whether it took six literal days, which it did. Not really a debate. This is what scripture says that's not the point the point for us to grasp is that this thing that you and I call time in which you and I measure seconds we measure minutes and hours and and days and weeks and months and years this thing that we call time is a concept of creation not not the culture in which we live you see our God created you and me in his image the Bible says we were created in his image. And not only were we created in his image, we were placed by God in this space, this chasm, if you please, that we call time. Time is a concept of creation. Secondly, time and its rhythm is ordered by God. You don't order it and I don't order it. This idea of a 24-hour day, 7-day-a-week, 365 is not some random thing. It's not a science lesson that could be taught at school. For example, it's not an accident that this earth actually tilts on its axis, rotates, and then revolves around the sun the way it does. Do you understand that? That God, the creator of the universe, set things in order just so specifically so that you and I could live? And breathe the air that we breathe and be able to have life. Oh, it takes 24 hours for the earth to rotate once on its axis, producing the rhythm of one complete day. It also takes approximately 60, 365 days for the earth to make one complete revolution around the sun. We actually joke about that and say that uh, when we say happy birthday to friends. Oh, you made another trip around the sun. It equals one year, right? And the one year comes with the four seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall. Oh, but God's omnipotent power, he sets forth the universe in a way that makes life on earth possible. And he built into this life a pattern and a rhythm of life, not culture. God did that. Look with me, flip over with me to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter three. What we find here is Solomon... Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In my Bible, it's on page 447. I'll give you a close hint. Uh, Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's reflecting here. It's near the end of his life, and he's reflecting on the meaning of life. And so he's taking time to look at all of life. And he comes to this point in chapter 3. And he comes to the matter of time. And look with me in beginning in verse number 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Solomon says, to everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under the heaven. In other words, he's talking about the rhythm of life. He's talking about ebb and flow, uh, the way things that progress. He says, to everything there is a season. Right There's a time for every purpose under the heaven. Look at verse 2. He continues in verse 2 and following. He says there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. He says a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. He says there's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Verse 6, a time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to rend or rip, a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak. He says there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. He's talking about time. And it's rhythm. It goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And it's not ordered by me and it's not ordered by you. It's ordered by God. God has a plan. He has a rhythm to the way things flow in our life. A time for this and a time for that. But if you look down at verse number 11, I love, you get down to verse number 11. Solomon says this. He says, and he has made everything what? He has made everything beautiful. But notice when he makes everything beautiful. In whose time? In his time. Can I just say this? Our God operates outside of the construct of time. He doesn't operate according to our clock. Right? He is, as we'll see here in a second, he's from everlasting to everlasting. He operates outside of the construct of time. But the reality is time is a concept of creation. Its rhythm, its flow is ordered by God. But notice next, time is not eternity. It's a difference. Like we say time and we say time is moving. We've already begun eternity. No, listen, eternity is going to come. And and if you're uh, uh, born again, you're going to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. But the reality is there is a difference. We need to make a distinction. And for that, flip back. To Proverbs, or actually to Psalm 90. Flip back with me to Psalm 90. Just a few pages. Because Moses here in Psalm 90, in his prayer. By the way, Psalm 90 is the one psalm that is attributed to Moses. And we find him here praying. And when we think about the life of Moses, he lived for 120 years. And most people, when they consider the life of Moses, they break it up into thirds, Right? So the first 40 years of his life, he lived a life of luxury. He lived a life of privilege. He lived inside of Pharaoh's home in Egypt. Many of you know the story of that, how his mother uh, gave birth to Moses. There was a decree to kill the children, and so she hides the child, and then she puts him in this uh, ark of bulrushes down on the river, and Pharaoh's daughter has compassion on Moses, and she takes him in after his mom uh, kind of nurses him. And uh, so he spends the first 40 years of his life in luxury living in Pharaoh's house. But after the incident with the Egyptian soldier, when he sees this Egyptian soldier uh, uh, beating the Hebrew slave, right, he, he kills this Egyptian soldier and, and then he, he leaves uh, the, the Egypt proper and he goes out for the next 40 years of his life and he lives in, in the desert of Midian. And he's, uh, he's tending sheep with his father-in-law, Jethro, Until he has this discussion with God. God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush. And he says, listen, I got another job for you. You've spent 40 years in luxury. You've spent 40 years in the desert. And now I want you to go and I want you to lead my children. God says, by the way, remember they're mine. He says, I want you to lead my children, my people, out of bondage, out of Egypt. And so Moses is called the last 40 years of his life to lead the children of Israel in that great exodus out of Egypt. Sadly, though, as you know the rest of the story, he disobeyed. But the children of Israel, all they did was mumble, grumble, and complain. Be careful not to be a mumbler, a grumbler, or a complainer, right? They spent 40 years needlessly in the wilderness. And so we have that broken down in Moses' life. But look here in Psalm 90, because moses throughout this this prayer throughout this psalm he reflects heavenly on heavily on time and so most scholars actually believe that he would have penned this under the inspiration of the holy spirit that this would have come near the end of moses's life notice in verse one he begins by saying lord he says thou has been our dwelling place watch what he says in all generations. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. So Moses begins in verse number 1 with history, but he very quickly, look at verse 2, he very quickly moves to creation. So he starts with the history of Israel, but then he goes back to creation in verse 2 saying these words, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world. And then he finishes He's talked about history, he's talked about creation, but then he finishes, look at verse 2, he finishes verse 2 by highlighting what I just said. He's highlighting eternity. He says, God, before the mountains were ever formed, before you ever brought forth, right, the earth, or formed the earth and the world, he says, even from everlasting to everlasting, notice what he says about God. He says, you are God. He says, listen, we've, you, we've, you've been our dwelling place in all generations, And we understand that you are the creator, God. But we understand that you had no beginning and you had no end. That'll blow your circuit breaker. God, see, we we try to put God in a box. He has no beginning and he has no end. Do you get that? He has always been God and he always will be God. Oh, listen. As people who are bound in this life, in this life, watch what I'm saying. In this life, we're bound by time. It's difficult sometimes to grasp the fact that God, an eternal Godhead, it's hard to grasp this idea of an eternal Godhead who never had a beginning and will never have an end. Verse 2, Moses said the eternal God is from everlasting to everlasting. Drop down to verse number 10 because in verse number 10, Moses gives us a reality check. He says the days of our years are three score years and ten. By way, three score, a score is 20 years. So three score is 60 years, and 10 equals 70 years. This is what he's talking about. He says, and if by reason of strength they be four score years or 80 years, he said, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. So what is Moses saying? He's saying, life is short. Life is short. Listen, I've shared with you many times, my birth mother passed away when I, when I was 10. She was 40 years of age. She went to be with Jesus at 40 years old. We've had uh, husbands and wives in here lose spouses recently who were older than that, but not much older than that. And they've gone to be with Jesus. Listen, life is short. We have to take account of what we have. And this is what Moses is doing. He says, he says hey, it's a time for a reality check. And uh, listen, you think about it. He's saying life is short. I I think about James, right? In James chapter 4, in verse number 14, James actually puts it this way. He asks a question, but then he answers the question, right? He says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor. It appears for a little time, but notice what he says. He says, your life's a vapor. It appears for a little time, but here's the reality. It vanishes away. It's like a vapor. Life is short. And so what does Moses do? Moses looking at history, looking at the Creator God, looking at eternity. He's looking at past, present, and future, if you please. In verse number 12, notice what Moses does. In verse number 12, he says these words So teach us. Watch what he says. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Moses is not asking for more time, he's not asking God, give me another 10 years. God, give me another five years. Hey, that happened in the Bible, and God fulfilled that request, right? Uh, but he's not asking for more time. What he's asking God for is more wisdom. He, watch, he's asking God for more wisdom in light. Watch this. In light of the time that he has been blessed with and the time that he has. So what is time? You say, what is time? Well, I said it's a concept of creation it's, it's rhythm, it's order, it's, it's ordered by God. Time is not necessarily eternity. There's a difference in that. But you say, Pastor, how about giving us a good working definition? Well, Christian leader and pastor by the name of Stephen Alford, this is a gentleman who Billy Graham uh, actually described as the man who most influenced his life and ministry. Here's what he said about time once. He said, time is a fragment of eternity given by God to humanity as a solemn stewardship. You know what that means? A solemn or a sacred trust. God has given us time as a sacred trust. When we think about it, we cannot stop it. We cannot store it up. We cannot manipulate it. And I can't borrow time from you, Krista. And you can't borrow time from me, right? If I'm going to borrow time, I'm going to borrow it from the queen mother anyway, right? I'm going to borrow some of the queen mother's time. You can't do it. We're gifted twenty. If we're at best, at best, we're gifted twenty-four hours a day, fourteen hundred and forty minutes, or as some of you may still have in your Bible, eighty-six thousand four hundred seconds in a day. It's here. Watch it. It's here. And then it's gone. So what's the solution? Well. If we were, I digress, if we were to go and ask the business world, they'd probably say, hey brother, you need to take a time management course. You want to be a good steward of time? Uh, sign up, I got a time management course, it's going to be uh, going to be good for you, and, and I'm not discounting any type of course, so don't go out of here and say, Pastor Greg's a hater, he doesn't like time management courses. That's not what I'm saying. But the reality is, you and I are nowhere equipped to manage time, in fact, I'm equipped to manage time just about as much as I'm equipped to hold back the waves on the seashore. I got news for you, I can't do that. The waves will come crashing in one after another, after another, and after another. So what's the answer? Here it is. Here's the big idea, the big key. I believe the answer when it comes to being resolved, when it comes to being resolved about this issue of time, is that we, what we really need to work on is managing ourselves. Quit trying to manipulate time. We need to work on managing ourselves inside or within the time that we've been given. And so how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Galatians actually has a lot to say about it. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, the very last aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5.23, the Bible says the last aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance. Or some of your Bibles, some of your versions may say self-control. And so if we hope to manage ourselves, if we hope to maximize the time that God has given us, the first inference is not only that we need to have self-control, which we do, but the first inference from this from 523 is that it is a fruit of who? The Holy Spirit. And so here's where the where the rub is, right? Uh we need the Holy Spirit. If you're going to manage yourself in this thing called time, you need the Holy Spirit leading, guiding, and directing your life to maximize the potential of this commodity that you have been blessed with. Paul writes this, Galatians five sixteen This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He continues in five twenty four and 25, he says, And they that are Christ, in other words, those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, watch what he says, have crucified the flesh. In other words, he's saying, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have put self to death. Isn't that what Jesus said in Luke nine twenty three? If you're going to come after me, you got to deny yourself. You got to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me each and every day. So Paul is saying here. He says those who are Christ uh, are, are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Look at this. He says if we live in the spirit. Let us also, I love it, walk in the Spirit. In other words, being resolved to manage ourselves well requires the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. And the only way we have the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is if we have Jesus in our life. No Jesus, no Holy Spirit. We understand that? I, I, I'm not going to manage myself well biblically. Like you might manage yourself well according to the world's uh, uh, scheme or, or ideas, but I'm not going to be able to manage myself well biblically and, and produce the fruit that God wants me to produce, to live the life that He wants me to live, to accomplish all that He desires for me if I'm not walking in the Spirit. When I walk according to the flesh, listen, that's not bringing God honor or glory. And so I have to walk in the Spirit. And the only way that I can do that is if I have the Holy Spirit. It seems simple enough, but we got to make sure that we have that. Because the reality, as believers, when we walk in the Spirit of God, then I can tell you this. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to be walking in the Word as well. You're going to be wanting to hear from God. And God's Word is is going to give you and it's going to give me some significant guidance on how we can be resolved to manage our lives well in light of time and eternity. So before I close, I'm going to give you uh, a couple of thoughts before I close that might point us in the right direction. Listen, I can tell you that we could talk about how we could better uh, manage ourselves all day, but we don't have all that time. So let me give you these three before we close. Number one, if you want to be resolved to manage yourself well, then you got to do this. Be resolved to redeem the time. you got to take use, redeem the time. Ephesians 5 and 15 and 16, the Bible says, See then that you walk circumspectly, carefully, not as fools, but as wise. Well, if we're going to walk in wisdom or we're going to be wise, what does the next verse say? It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Again, we cannot create more time, but we can redeem the time. By the way, that word redeem means to buy up, watch this, or to rescue from loss. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have been redeemed. Travis even referenced it this morning. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, to rescue from being lost. That's why Jesus came. But if we're going to redeem the time, guess what? We need to buy up the opportunities that God gives us. We need to rescue from loss. What would be considered a loss? Wasting time. That would be considered a loss. And so you say, well, how do I do this? Well, the reality is uh, one of the best ways we could do this is stop putting off to tomorrow what you know you need to do today. Like a lot of people say, hey, Pastor, I'm going to. I'm going to do that. Hey, you don't even know, Pastor. God's got some big plans, and when I retire, man, you're going to see me around this place, you're going to get tired of seeing me. Uh, okay, could I see you before you retire? Could, could, could I have some fellowship? See, there's a lot of people who come up here and serve. By the way, there was a whole host uh, of people up here this week. And thank you so much. I mean, I I think about uh, Ron and Patty and Herb and Judy and Ernie and, and Charlie and Nancy. I mean, there was a whole host of people up here tearing down stuff. And I got news for you they're agile, they are agile. But I want to be polite. They're not the most junior saints we have here. I'd like to see some of our junior saints up here before you retire. Yes. Oh, yeah, even, even the senior saints are hollering amen now. We got to redeem the time. Quit putting off to tomorrow what we know we need to do today. Get into God's Word today. Don't say, I'm going to start it tomorrow. Uh, tell somebody about Jesus today. Uh, listen, I know that if you go out from this place, you're going to have the opportunity. God is going to give you the opportunity to rescue from loss the opportunity to share your the love and truth of Jesus Christ with somebody else today. So rescue it. Take up the opportunity. Redeem the time. You say, why? Why are you you talking about redeeming the time? Well, because verse number 16, the very last part of it says the days are evil. Can I tell you there is a devil that walks about? He wants to distract. He wants to destroy. He wants to devour our lives. He hates you. He hates your family. He hates this church. By the way, we ought to guard this church. This is the Lord's church. We ought to do what we can to protect it, right? We got to be careful, we got to be careful. We got got to be on our guard all the time, watching, because the devil hates what takes place. So be resolved to redeem the time. Also, be resolved to spend time with the Lord. The, you know, Jesus said, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God." In Matthew six thirty three, He said, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you." Here's the key word in this verse, right? First, seek ye. He didn't say seek ye second. He didn't say seek ye third or fourth or fifth. He said seek ye first the kingdom of God. Be resolved to spend time with Jesus. Spend time with him. Listen, when you have Jesus, can I just lovingly say this? There's no need to worry when you have Jesus. There's no need to worry. When I have Jesus, I got it all. So no matter what I face, guess what? When I have Jesus, I'm connected to the way. Isn't that what he said he is? I'm connected to the way, and as the way, as the truth, as the life, he's more than able to make a way in my life when even I may not even think there is a way. So in other words, what do I need to do? I need to resolve to spend some time with Jesus and remind myself to do it first and to make sure that I know that he is able, he is strong and able. Listen, if we're resolved in our determination to be more like Christ then we've got to buy up and rescue some of our time each day by spending it with the Lord in words, spending it in, with the Lord in prayer. He wants us to communicate with Him. This was important to Jesus. Jesus actually took time to spend time with His heavenly Father. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, the Bible says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, He went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed, listen, get alone with Jesus Each and every day, and I guarantee you, if you make time for Jesus, you're going to start to see a change in the way you manage your life. Not because you're good, but because he's great. Spend time with Jesus. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly Nor stands in the, in the way of sinners Sits in the seat of the scornful and on and on But his delight is in the law of the Lord and, in, and, and he meditates in it day and night And Psalm 1 and verse 3 says He's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water Oh, God, make time Take the time to spend time with the Lord each and every day And then lastly, be resolved to rest in God's perfect plan This is a little difficult Be resolved to rest in God's perfect plan and in God's perfect timing. You know, Isaiah 55 reminds us that God's thoughts and God's ways are much higher than our thoughts and ways. Therefore, that reminds me that I can trust Him. If His his thoughts and His ways are much higher than mine, that reminds me that I can trust Him with everything that is taking place in my life. You may be here today, and you may be going through a season of waiting. I can tell you, in the military, I learned to hurry up and wait. From the time they dropped me off at Paris Island, South Carolina, I was on this trail of hurry up and wait until the time I retired. You may be in a season of waiting. Can I tell you lovingly, trust Jesus. Trust the plan that he has for you. You may be here, maybe facing a season of loss. I know we have, as I said a few moments ago, we have folks in our midst who have lost parents, who have lost spouses, who have lost friends, long, lifelong friends, who have lost loved ones in their life. You may be in a season of loss. You may be facing a season of uncertainty. You're not sure what's next for you. You may be facing something else. But I know this, that if you and I exercise faith, I know that you and I, all of us, all together, that we can trust and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Scripture, Scripture, the Lord reassures us that He has a plan. In fact, even in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah the Lord said in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you an expected end. Oh, listen, I'm headed for heaven and I can't help it. Oh, what a savior we serve. Oh, may we be determined this year. May we be resolved, strongly determined. As Psalm 46, 10 says, to be still. And to know, as God says, be still and know that I, that I am God. Time flies. Time, you know, we always say time flies when you're having fun. I got news for you. Time flies whether you're having fun or not. You know, when I was younger, and maybe everybody could give this answer. When I was younger, time seemed to move so slowly. Slowly. And now, I look in the mirror, I'm just being honest, maybe, you, maybe, maybe it's caught you, right? I look in the mirror, and I ask, where did it all go? I look at our children that are grown, praise the Lord. I'm praying for you, brother, just starting again back here. He's like, I had them all grown, now starting again. I, here's the thing. Time moves so quickly now. Is anybody like that? I, I'm like, what happened to my hair? I used to have thick, curly hair. Somebody stole it in the middle of the night somehow. What's going on? Why why, why is it that when I get up out of this bed, I hurt more than when I lay down? I thought I was getting rest. Anybody? I get up, and I'm like, hello, it's time, I need you to work. You know, if you're a believer today, you know the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 2, it says, it says these words, it says, moreover, it is required... In stewards, that's us, managers, that a man be found, what? God expects us to manage ourselves wisely in the midst of this commodity that he has given us. Maybe today would be a good day, if you're a believer, to recommit yourself to a determination, a strong determination to be resolved manage yourself wisely. Maybe you're here, and you say, you know what, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. They made me come. You can point it whichever way. My mom made me come. My girlfriend made me come. My boyfriend, my husband, my wife, they made me come today. But I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you this lovingly as well? God proved his love to you in that he sent his only begotten son to this earth to place upon himself, watch this, to place upon his body, himself, the sins of the world. That includes your sin and my sin, right? But the reason Jesus died is so that you and I could be forgiven and have a relationship with God through him. And so here's the thing. If we're going to be time conscious, excuse me, If we're going to be time conscious or aware of this gift of time, if you're not a believer, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2, it says, watch this, it says here, it says, behold now is the accepted time. Behold now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. I may have given them the wrong verse. It's it's 2 Corinthians. Guys, I don't know if they can pull it up real quick, but it's 2 Corinthians. There it is. Behold, now, he says, is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What does that mean? That means that God's amazing grace is available to you today. He loved you and gave himself for you. And what's really cool is as this life, this sacred trust that's been given to you, You can live the abundant life because because the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 13 that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I, I don't know. I'm not that smart, but it's pretty simple. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. And the Bible says that if I believe that, if I turn from my sin, I repent from my sin, and I call upon the name of the Lord. That's crazy. I call upon the name of the Lord to forgive me, to come into my life. The Bible says that's what he'll do. I don't know about you, that blows my circuit breaker. So if you're here today, I can tell you, as Pastor Travis was alluding to a few moments ago, there'd be no greater opportunity than right now. It's not about me leading you in some prayer. You just simply pray, ask God to forgive you. to Come into your life. You say, what do you say? Just that, just that. It's not some uh, uh, hocus-pocus grouping of words. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I trust that you are the Son of God. I trust that you died for my sin. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my life and send me. By the way, he already did the work. For by grace are you saved. But here's our part. Through faith. Through faith. I pray that if you're not a believer, that you'll exercise faith right now. If you're a believer, I pray that you'll recommit yourself Say, God, help me to walk in the spirit. Help me to walk according to your word. Help me to manage well this resource that you have blessed me with. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time that we've had in your word. And certainly, Lord, I understand um, and I'm aware of this commodity and I certainly do not take it lightly. Lord, I pray that you'll help me even and all of us to redeem, to buy up, to rescue from loss, wasted time that we spend doing this, that, or the other while we have this commodity that we might bring you honor and we might bring you glory with eternity in mind. Lord, I praise you and thank you for what you have done. I pray that you'll give us now uh, 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 this time of imitation, where we could come before your throne and lift up our petitions that we could praise you, that we could thank you, that we could glorify you. I also pray for those that maybe right now are calling upon your name for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen them and give them courage to stand for you in the days in which we live. Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.